Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. If it seems like I've been talking about real estate quite a bit on this podcast, it's because I really do think it's a good option for making some extra money outside of your normal nine to five job or outside of your normal business. I think it's one of those things that can really save you a ton of money on taxes, bring you in additional revenue, and depending on how you structure it, could bring in a little bit of more passive income for you. That's why I was so excited to bring on today's guest, Dr. Rachel Gainsbrew. If you have not heard of Rachel or you haven't seen her stuff, she is such a total rock star. Like seriously, really, really cool person. Rachel was born in Haiti with the drive to make a difference and not take her parents' sacrifices for granted. She was raised in Miami, worked hard, became a doctor, and was left with over $500,000 in student loans. So she grinded hard to pay off all of her loans. And when she found Airbnb investing, it kind of became a game changer for her. I think what Rachel found and what a lot of people are starting to see is that sometimes, not all times, but sometimes short-term rental investments can actually outperform long-term rentals by about 15 times in her experience. Now she's a healthcare professional by day and a real estate investor at night. She's the owner and manager of 18 luxury short-term rentals with a lucrative cash flowing rental portfolio. She's a mom, a wife, and a real estate coach. And she was also recently featured on a Netflix TV show, which is really kind of fun showcasing one of her luxury rentals. Rachel's really passionate about helping professionals create a life that they don't need a vacation from through real estate investing, but more specifically through Airbnb. I enjoyed this conversation. We cover a lot of ground. We start by talking about how growing up as an immigrant affected her financial literacy journey. I always think this is very interesting to see how our situations really do impact our financial, I guess, decisions or opinions or biases so heavily. We talk about using the debt snowball method and making huge sacrifices in order to to pay off her debt. Dealing with naysayers when you make huge financial changes, this is something I think we all go through. And so hearing how people deal with that, I think is so helpful. We talk about the first property investment that really scared Rachel. I always find that fascinating. Sometimes we only talk about the ones that seem like they're the slam dunks, but what about those ones where when you ran the numbers or you actually purchased the property, you were like, oh shoot, I might be in over my head. We talk about accidentally overpricing a rental that got booked before she could change it. Furnished finder. If you haven't heard of this, I think this is really helpful. It's usually for furnished houses, as you can imagine, or rooms, and how getting booked by insurance companies works. I think this is the key piece to a lot of Rachel's strategy, and I think it's really important to pay attention to that section. What differentiates a luxury property from other properties? Where to begin with short-term rental and midterm rentals? And Rachel's philosophy on investing in real estate as a side hustle. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I know I definitely learned a lot. Rachel also has a really great resource, so go check out the show notes to make sure you check out her resource for getting 75 of her recommended cities for investing. She's got that linked in the show notes. So go check it out. All right, let's go ahead and turn the mic over to Dr. Rachel Gainsborough. 
Hey, do you need a financial coach? If so, let's work together. As a coach, I help you get structure around your finances, visualize your ideal life, whatever that looks like for you, and more importantly, put together a strategy to help you get there. A lot of people hire me because they want to pay off debt faster and more efficiently and boost up their savings or increase their credit score, and those are all awesome goals. Financial coaching just helps you because I hold you accountable the entire way. Yeah, for better or worse, we're kind of like we're married. So if you want to take the podcast concepts that you're learning here and apply those to your life with my help, then you need to apply for coaching at WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. Once again, that's WhitneyHanson.com slash customized dash coaching. I am so stoked to work with you and help you reach your financial goals. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. I am so excited to be joined by Dr. Rachel Gainsbrew. Thank you so much for hanging out. Oh, Whitney, thank you so much for having me. I'm such a fan girl. Thank you for what you're doing for the community, putting out all of this amazing information. It has changed lives, so I can't thank you enough. Thank you. I am so excited that our paths have crossed because you are up to some really freaking cool stuff. But (laughs) Take us back a little ways. You are a doctor, but what initially got you into personal finance? Was this like your family talked about it all the time? They never talked about it. What was your background with money? Oh, I love this question, Whitney, because I was actually a little girl from Haiti, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. So when we moved to Miami, due to the language barrier, my family, they just went to work. They were professors in Haiti, as well as a midwife, pretty well off. But with um, the transition to the U.S., uh, all of that was not in place. So they worked Mm. in factories. And so there was not a lot of money growing up. But we, you know, we didn't realize that there wasn't money until later on in life. You know, you have friends doing things and you realize that there are some limitations there. So I really didn't want their sacrifices to go in vain. I excelled in school. I went on to get my doctorate in pharmacy. But one thing that was missing was the financial literacy. Since there wasn't a lot of money, we didn't talk about money. There's no money to really talk about <laughs> growing sure. up. Or so I thought. And so eventually, though, um, after graduating from school, I had my husband and I, we had about half a million dollars in student loans. So learned all of that stuff. But financial literacy was not at all a part of the curriculum. So I had to learn really, really fast. And that really is what started my financial literacy journey in terms of understanding what a budget was, understanding taxes, understanding what payroll really looks like, as opposed to (laughs) what you're told you're going to be making. And so it was a wake-up call nevertheless. I I can imagine. (laughs) I mean, $500,000 in debt is probably, even though I presume you both had a good income at that range too, it's still a lot of money. So when you had the moment of we need to get our stuff together with money, What was your guys' motivator? Well, actually, my husband at the time, and back in 2008, he had a hard time finding work. He's a psychotherapist by training. And so he had a couple of more years to go. And so he was more like getting residency pay, although residency was over for me. I was getting um, earning somewhere around like $89,000, $91,000 a year, which is great for a new grad, but under the crushing uh, $500,000 with a child on the way, with the lack of financial literacy thinking, oh, wow, I never have money now. I'm going to have a lot of money. So I went and got the biggest house I could find, went to the Range Rover boutique to get finally get my dream car. I did all of the wrong things. And uh, my husband, on the other hand, he is from um, a more affluent background and he understood finances and he absolutely hated debt. He absolutely could not stand it. And he had really a, a visceral reaction to it. And I realized, okay, if we don't do something about this, this is going to cause him so much distress and, you know, me as well, because it took a a few years of, you know, working the moonlight shift, this like doubling down and tripling down on work in order to finally get some of those student loans out of the way. Holy 
holy smokes. Okay. So when you started to pay off all the debt and you had a baby on the way, which I can mm-hmm. imagine like, is that all you got? What else? Like <laughs> so oh, much yeah. stuff to, to handle. All the things. Yeah. Oh man. And then you're you're finally in your career. You're working towards it. You're paying off the debt. What were the steps you guys took to initially start paying off debt? Was it just living on a budget and that was enough? Or did you do crazy sacrifices? Like, how did that look in the beginning? Yeah, crazy sacrifices. We're using the debt snowball method. And so we sold everything, Whitney. Yeah. We sold the house, we sold the cars, we moved from a 5,000 square foot home to a 1,300 square foot apartment in a different school district that had better schools. So we went to public school from really fancy private school. Like Whitney, I told you, I was doing it all up. We're we're about to be like, yeah, we're going to be, you know, um, the cat's meow, but you know, there was private school, there was all, we bought everything, everything we saw. And I say we figuratively, but it was mainly me really. Mm. Um, And again, not having money growing up, I just wanted to do all the things. And for me, the big mindset shift was I had to stop caring what others would think, you know, Mm. because I'm a big fancy doctor. (laughs) Am I living in an apartment? Like that just doesn't make sense. But when you put value on relationships instead of money and you put value on peace of mind and being able to sleep at night instead of, you know, pretending to be something you're not, I had to make those changes. And so we we sold everything, moved down to an apartment. We took everyone out of private school. We shared a car for a few minutes, like crazy sacrifices. And um, would I do it again the same way? I don't know if I would. But it really helped us to move the needle. And within just a few short years, we we're able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And it was an oncoming train and and then start to pivot uh, our transition to real estate investing. First part, purchasing our, our own home, another property um, that was cost effective in the right area so that we can continue to le- leverage, you know, high quality public schools and keep our costs down that way and then uh, start to invest in real estate. You guys are amazing. Like I I cannot imagine all of those changes at one time, which I think shows the level of seriousness that you both had at that moment too of we're done. Like we're changing it. We're going to fix all of this. We're going to mm-hmm. start climbing out. I mean, going from 5,000 square feet to 1,300 and an apartment. I'm curious, like, did you get any naysayers from friends and family? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting because that was my biggest concern, but I had to kind of double down and say, you know what? I just don't care. So I would just do things. And then after the fact, I was like, oh, by the way, you know, we're in an apartment because <laughs> I know if, you know, I had, you know, shared that information previously, they would, um, you know, definitely speak out against what it was that we're doing. It's not normal. It was like not normal stuff. Hmm. We even had family saying they were really worried about us <laughs> and all of that. And and I get it, you know, and they mean well. And that's where I had to say to myself, they just mean well. But having that French background, um, Whitney, you have a sense of like a decorum, you know, it's it's a lot of appearances in my culture. And it's like, what will society say? And so I was always asking my husband, my husband, he's from California, Caucasian. And he's like, who, where's the society that we're talking about? I was like, what will society say if we, you know, and he's like, (laughs) I have no idea who these people are. And he's like, is society paying our bills? If society isn't paying our bills, they don't get to say anything. (laughs) Yeah, that is such a good attitude. Absolutely. And I learned, you know, really quick just not to care. And look, we survived. Like I didn't die from, you know, cutting back and we, we, we made it. I love that. And then you started (laughs) to really change your life in a really big way by focusing on the income side of your equation. And so it, was that always short-term rentals? Is that like always the path is real estate is how you started to grow your income? Yeah, absolutely. Real estate and real estate education. So started off with real estate for sure. And at the time that we were looking for a a path, like you said, uh, an income growth path, because at that point, okay, the debt was down, pretty much gone, but there was no savings. And we're like, okay, we need to do something that's going to um, really accelerate the savings. I didn't want a slow, but I didn't want risk 
lucky either. Mm -hmm. So when Bitcoin, all of that was coming out, I researched all of it. I just still don't understand. I still don't understand NFTs or any of that. So I was like, okay, real estate, I can see, I can touch a house. I get that. So we went all in on real estate. First, we looked at um, leveraging wholesaling. It was like, get into wholesaling. It's so easy and it's, you know, so cheap. You just call a few people. You learn really quickly that the wholesaling strategy, it requires so much time and effort. And I already was, you know, running from you know, the moonlight shift doubling down on working more hours and exchanging my hours for dollars. I was, I was over that at that point, you know, sometimes you just have to sacrifice. You just have to sometimes, but it's not a sustainable long-term plan. And so for me, my better, you know, my highest and best use was continuing to practice medicine Mm -hmm. and not outdoor knocking and wholesaling. And so the next strategy, obviously easy peasy is fix and flip. Everyone makes like 40, 50,000 at the end of the show, right? Seems so. <laughs> <laughs> and you learn quickly. No, that's a whole other full-time job as well with project management, really mm-hmm. managing contractors and budgets and all of the things. I said, okay, that's not going to work. And then when I found short-term rentals, I knew long-term rental, the margins were really thin. For us, as we're looking at it, that's a lot of work for $200 at the end of the year if your water heater breaks. So <laughs> that's just totally. not exciting to me. But short-term rentals, we were able to 3X to 15X what you would get on a long-term rental with the short-term rental strategy based on all of my calculations. And we were able to test it out and it worked. And we mm-hmm. haven't looked back since. Holy crap. Okay. What was your first short-term rental? It was actually um, in our neighborhood, uh, which I love. I have since, you know, branched out remotely. Uh, We purchased it for $290,000 or so. We um, had a lender, a local lender that was able to lend us at um, like 5% down, down payment. So out of pocket, it was really, yeah, really under 20K out of pocket. Uh, what helped me was a book by Brandon Turner. It was like real estate investing for landlords or something like that, where he has that table of if the roof needs to be replaced, it's such and such dollars. If it's electrical, it's X, Y, Z dollars. And just to see those numbers on a table changed my life because usually, oh no, electrical, you know, needs to be replaced. That must be a gazillion dollars. Like you don't know what you don't know as a consumer, right? You think, okay, out of the question. But if you put your investor cap on and you're able to understand those numbers and back into the deal and say, does it still make sense if I invest this extra 10 or $12,000, am I still ahead? Then, you know, it's still a good deal. So that really changed my life. We um, knew that the roof had issues, but we also knew that this particular property uh, was valued at and we're selling for way less than what the value was because we're intimately familiar with that particular neighborhood. The homes there are valued at about 400,000. And so oh, even dang. with replacing the roof at 10K, we still we still were ahead. That was a good find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um, homeowner had passed away, unfortunately, and then the trustee was out of state. So they didn't really... Wow. Fully they understand the market. They didn't want to deal with it too, honestly. They didn't want to deal with it. Yeah. Man. Okay. So that was the find. first one. Mm-hmm. And then it was immediately short-term rental. Is that how you, you did yep. it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So short-term rental. And I focus more, Whitney, on a luxury experience. And when people hear luxury, they run for the hills because they think we're spending millions of dollars. You've already heard the numbers, mm-hmm. you know, as far as that property purchase price. And then there's a little older lady um, who's a designer who had her home completely decked out, beautiful four-bedroom home. And this home is a four-bedroom home as well. But she wanted, she always dreamed of living in a high-rise condo on the beach. And she placed all her, everything on sale after she had just remodeled and designed her home. What the heck? Mm Mm-hmm. Some people, they just, you know, they want to live their dreams. And I mean, respect, I get it. Respect. So we walked in and, you know, to this um, house sale, this moving sale, and I'm whispering to my husband how, "Mm, I really like this. I really, everything matched Whitney. Everything was like so well-designed, well-curated. And I kept like harassing my husband how much I loved everything. He goes to the little lady. He says, close the door. We're buying everything. 
And so for $15,000, you know, and I paid her over the course of like three or four payments, $15,000, we furnished this whole house in a luxury, well-designed, curated, you know, way. So if I tell a lot of members of my community, if you can find like a higher end neighborhood where there are moving cells, you never know. Some people are moving out of the country, so they can't take all the things with them. So that's a great way to find some great furnishings. That's a good tip. I really like that. So <laughs> when you say a luxury property, what, wh- how much is that per night usually? Like, what does that equate to? So it really, it's going to be market specific. And we know that Airbnb and short-term rentals are worldwide, right? Mm-hmm. And so market specific, for instance, if I say luxury in California, $500 a night, that's not necessarily right. But mm-hmm. in Georgia, state of Georgia, 500 a night. Yes. You know, in Paris, it could be a thousand a night. So it's going to be market specific for the dollar amount. That makes sense. Okay. So it's not really like a one size fits all. No, I would say maybe like top 10 to 15% of that particular market is a good, you know, barometer to, to assess the number. Nice. Okay. Give me some context too. I'm always so fascinated. So my (laughs) version of short-term rental investing is much smaller scale, like under 150 weird different properties. Like that's my MO. So when I hear people talk about luxury properties and even spending like four or $500,000 for a property, I'm like, Oh, that's so much pressure though. How do you make the payment? How do you know it's going to rent? So what what was the property that maybe for you scared you a little bit and made you kind of second guess? Like, do I actually know? And had to go back to the data. Did you have one of those moments? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, it's the property that's featured on Netflix. Now this property. Yeah. (laughs) So that was my first scary moment. Now that property was 462K uh, was the purchase price. And to date, that is the highest purchase price we we have at this point, we are building something that's going to be more than that. But, you know, to date, that's the highest so far that's closed, locked and loaded. And, um, oh my goodness, I waffled back and forth, but I knew there was a potential. So this is a house that was renting as a long-term rental. The landlord was out of state. They placed it on for sale by owner on Zillow. Mm -hmm. Again, this is another one on Zillow. The first property was on Zillow. You know, I don't know if Zillow is the cuss word for a lot of realtors. I'm sure it is. (laughs) It totally is. But it was on the MLS, you know, just so you know, I'm not you know, combing through tax deed records to find like these unicorns. This is on the MLS, but it was for sale by owner and it was listed on there. And I just, it had a certain vibe to it. And if, uh, if you see episode four, you'll see the vibe that I'm talking about. And I knew it had potential, um, to be a really great short-term rental for uh, larger families who are displaced from their homes due to, mm-hmm. you know, it could be a cat- catastrophe or her- like we serve so many of those families in the suburban area. Awesome. Uh, I call it my midterm rental strategy. And mm-hmm. honestly, the insurance um, sector is like a trillion dollar industry. And their pockets are very deep. I mean, you I know you pay insurance every month. I pay it every month. And so they're collecting. And so they uh, have had the opportunity to place some of these um, homeowners whose homes are no longer habitable. Uh, but also what I was really catering to and what I was looking forward to is serving the movie industry. I thought that since uh, we had a big movie studio where they're filming all of the Marvel movies here in Georgia, which is interesting. Yeah, totally. I would cater to to that audience. We had the great pleasure of serving and hosting uh, one of the top <laughs> people for The Walking Dead at our property Sweet. because it was filmed like right uh, not too far away. But that's really who I thought I was catering uh, to, Whitney. And I, I, I was really surprised because it, it this insurance, midterm rental insurance is such an underserved population. So, mm-hmm. so this property, I placed it on um, Airbnb. Mm-hmm. Since it was a new property to me, I had a cleaning team. I was working on training them. I was going to set them up uh, to start, you know, taking over the property. I didn't want it to be a you know, my usually two night stays for the first, you know, few weeks. So I placed it for a minimum of a 30 night stay. 
This is a home that was renting as a long-term rental for $1,800 a month. Um, and once, you know, we came in, I like to remove carpets because I'm one of the only pet-friendly short-term rentals. I like to oh, be pet-friendly. Yeah, it's huge. People love that. Remove the carpet. Uh, this one just needed paint and lipstick, really. Just remove the carpet Dang. and put on, put new flooring. And this particular property, once I put it on the platform, I turned on a dynamic pricing tool called Price Labs. That's what I use. Mm -hmm. I turned on that too, but it has an AI. And um, it listed the property. In my mind, Whitney, I'm thinking, ooh, if I can get anywhere from $9,000, dare I think $10,000, there's just no way. But $9,000 for the first 30 days, that would be amazing. I could offset some of those initial costs. I mean, it just yeah. would be incredible. The dynamic pricing tool, you have to train it. It's an AI. So I was expecting it to either overshoot or undershoot significantly. Yeah. It overshot at $28,000 and I was laughing. I was like, okay, that's ridiculous. It got booked within a few minutes before no. I was able to turn it off. Yes. What the crap? $28,000? Yes. It got booked Holy for $28,000. Yes. And then the next month, 15 and then 22, it averages about 21000 and here I am with my self-limiting beliefs, my eight thousand, my nine thousand. It was yeah. it averages around twenty-one thousand. Holy crap! Okay, the, is that like a unicorn property, or is that something you're finding is actually more normal than we'd like to think? It's more normal than we like to think because I actually have uh, members of the community who have asked me to help them set it up, mm -hmm. um, set up the same scenario, and they have smaller homes and they're generating anywhere from thirteen to sixteen thousand per month. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and so again, Whitney, it's not like I'm saying, "Hey, Whitney, come and pay this amount." I'm not. We're not no. dealing with consumers who are working hard for their lives, like me. Like I can't right. afford to stay with me. Right. <laughs> yes, I agree. Me too. But so these are again the insurance companies whose pockets are deep, who have collected trillions of dollars. Just what I think it was one point zero three trillion dollars they had in surplus just in twenty twenty one. Oh my gosh. So it's definitely a different type of avatar, a different strategy, and the guests are amazing. I mean, unfortunately, they just lost their home. They just need a place to stay for the next three, yeah. four months until they rebuild, it ends up being anywhere from four to 11 months that you're, you know, generating some significant income from these Whoa. insurance companies. I guess the next maybe logical question would be, is that sustainable revenue? Like, is that something where you can kind of guarantee you're always going to have somebody that needs somewhere to stay and insurance is always going to pay for that? Is that something that you find has been fairly predictable? No, it is not predictable at all. You know, it's feast or famine. And so we are listed on Airbnb for two night minimums. Yeah. Yeah. But we do love to host, you know, the insurance guests. I would say in the last year, I've had two vacant days to host Airbnb at our properties. And on the 15th, which is in three days, I have someone checking out and the insurance just asked for a 12 month oh, um, booking for next Monday, starting on the 17th oh, for 12 fantastic. months. So it's not predictable, but it continues to happen again and again. And I, and I don't think anyone's really talking about it. A lot of times, you know, um, my colleagues, they talk about Furnish Finder and travel yes. nurses. And I love that my sister's a travel nurse, you know, but she'd rather sleep in her BMW than pay premium <laughs> rent. What, like 20 grand? Yeah, sign me up right. for that. <laughs> right. Right. And so um, there are a few things you you want to do to set yourself apart to make sure that you're catering, you know, to th that audience so that you can be visible to the insurance companies. Is it something where you're approaching insurance companies directly and offering it up or are they like stumbling upon your listing on Airbnb? Right now, I got to tell you, um, quite a few of them are no longer using Airbnb. They're not really allowed to just, I don't know, internal oh, things. Okay. Yeah. So when you're approached by the insurance, oftentimes you're actually approached by two different avatars, the potential guests and the insurance. They're reaching out to you simultaneously on different platforms. Oh, so the nice. potential guest is finding you on Airbnb. So always still list on Airbnb for better, for worse. It's controversial. I know, but the Google of 
short-term rental is Airbnb. You like it or not. (laughs) And so always list on there is what I say. Um, But also I, I list on another platform called corporate housing by owner. And uh, that's another place. And that is actually where um, quite a few of the insurance companies had found me prior to us having relationships. Now that we have a relationship, they'll just email me. They say, hey, Rachel, you've helped us before. Do you have availability? And I always say yes. And then I figure it out later. That's awesome. Yeah, I would But let's make it happen. For sure. Well, especially at those kinds of rates, even if, I mean, shoot, let's play with that $9,000, which we were- you know, super grateful end, for right? yeah right but oh my super god excited like, about. like right. still a ton of money it's i pretty... didn't sleep that night yeah. i was like how else am i playing small like seriously no for real though so what what that is a good point did that change things for you in your business like did you immediately go revamp all of your pricing absolutely absolutely it changed everything for us we you know i I still have to, you know, tweak the dynamic pricing tool, but I'm as long as I'm offering a, a service, as long as I'm um, making sure that I'm serving my my guests at the highest possible level. Mm-hmm. If they're asking, I I do serve luxury guests as well. They want to know, do you have a private, you know, private pilot? The answer is yes. And then I go and figure it out later. I mean, there are lots <laughs> yeah. of pilots out there, right? It's so if you're going to offer those services, you can you can ask ask for a premium. They're paying for convenience and having a good and and I like to say like I'm I'm doing it. Having a good virtual assistant. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Tori, if you're listening. Seriously, though. Seriously. <laughs> is is what really makes it happen. So the answer is yes. <laughs> you can I you know, that. and the resources are out there. What so so what differentiates your properties? I guess like what is a luxury property in your eyes? So when you're looking at an Airbnb, is it something, is it the services you offer? Is it the decor? Is it the location? Yeah. Like what what is composed of a luxury property? That's such a great question. And Whitney, modern luxury compared to traditional luxury, like what our parents were uh, accustomed is is very different. We don't care about the golden doorknobs and golden toilets. It is not about that. It really is curating a unique experience. So guests want to live like a local. They want to experience something different. They do not want to be in a space where they feel like they're at a you know chain hotel, right? Mm-hmm. They want the authenticity of of your space. So if, for instance, when I went to New Mexico, you know the tapestries on the wall. I want to know how it is to live in New Mexico. So little touches, my guests always talk about the little touches, whether it's a crock pot with dry goods, with a local recipe that's really popular, throw all of this in a crock pot, add the, you know, broth and you're going to have such and such you know, so those are some of the things that you can do to curate a luxury stay. Outside of that, if we want to talk, if you're like, some people are like, just give me the tactical stuff. A king size bed is the default luxury travel bed. So I try to make sure I have at least one king size bed on property. Uh, other things are convenient check-in and check-out. Your guest does not want to be fumbling for their lives in the middle of the night, looking under a carpet for a key. You want the last four digits for the door code, keyless entry, they're in, they're out. Because that sets the tone. If they have a hard time entering the property already, they feel like, oh, this is going to be, you know, a terrible state. It may not be, but it already sets the tone. But if we're talking about physically from a property perspective, I can market nearly most places as luxury with the exception of my house in Miami. Like, you know, if you're going through (laughs) like the the hood and, you know, people are coming out, like if it looks like a, almost a dangerous, challenging, um, you know, area where cars are on the lawn, not manicured at all, there's no curb appeal. It's going to be very impossible, near impossible to market that property as a luxury, but luxury is in that guest communication. I call it my three C's, communication, connection, and convenience. Those are the three I drew a blank for a second. So the communication, the guest communication, what are you here for? And if they're here for a wedding, you can, you know, cheer them on and congratulate them. If they're here for, unfortunately, a funeral and they're visiting the area, you can, you know, send your condolences. That's part of the communication, understanding what they're there for. If there are excursions that you can recommend, restaurants, events that you could recommend, that's part of the communication. Um, 
of course, something else that's tangible, having an Instagrammable wall, whether it's like a, you know, a grass wall, something where they can take a photo that, you know, um, signifies that they were somewhere different that they can share with others. But yeah, it's, it's not over the top expensive to create a luxury stay for your guests. I've seen luxury glamping sites, glamping, meaning like you're outside, like with animals and, <laughs> and you know, just beautiful, beautiful experiences. So it doesn't have to break the bank to be a luxury stay. I love that. That's actually, that's our property that we have right now. We have oh. a glamping dome. <laughs> And it's, so it's in the middle of the forest and there's animals. <laughs> there you go. I love it, that. It's great. But I do, I like that you are, you're talking about some very like tangible things of things that I think everybody, whether you do a long-term rental or short-term rental, like whatever, like some of this is like basic customer service, like yeah. make it easy for people. Don't let it be hard. And I think it seems like something that people hear and they're really like, okay, got it. But do you really got it? Like, if do you actually implement that? And so I'm curious with all of your students too, what are like the common things that you see that people are just like missing the ball on? Mm, That's a great question. I would say, again, it is the communication piece. You know, from the very beginning, um, I have something called my roll out the red carpet, five-star guest communication template, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like from the very beginning, uh, because with Airbnb, if you're going to be focused on Airbnb, you live and die by those ratings and reviews, Here right? And so you have to ask for it. You got to ask for your five-star and not just, hey, give me a five-star review. No, I hope you're having a five-star stay. We we aim to such and such. And you, know, you keep the communication flowing and you balance it, right? So the first night we have a settling in message after the first night and then we leave them alone for the rest yeah. of the trip unless you know um it's a longer trip we'll do one more check-in right so i hope you've settled in okay and our experience of five stars day our cleaners are actually are pretty awesome but every now and then they forget something mm-hmm. uh, let me know you know so when you say let you know that is your opportunity to pick up on any and all of the grievances, right? Because they're you say let you know, they're gonna let you know. Let them complain right there so that they don't complain later when it comes time to to review right. you. Yeah. And so address it right then and there. So the communication is key. Okay. That's a really, really good tip of having that very clearly laid out. I also like that you're inviting. And so I think people would hear that and they're like, I don't want people to complain to me. No, you do. You, you want do, them yes. to complain to you early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know what? The guests also serve as your eyes and ears, right? Right. Unless you're on site in a like traditional B&B at the property, you don't necessarily always know what's going on. And so say something was, you know, significantly missed, say, you know, the cleaner didn't leave any towels or or there's no paper, paper towels or something was missed, you know, cleaners are, our cleaners are great, but they do forget. I mean, human. human, right? And so we, we have that opportunity to correct it because if that guest is there for seven days, for seven days, you're going to be fuming to themselves. Oh, I just paid for this day and I don't yep. even have... A roll of toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be pissed about that too, actually. <laughs> Can you imagine like squaring off each of them? Got to ration this. <laughs> ration this bad boy. Yeah. So yeah. So you want to know sooner than later. And the beauty of technology now, Whitney, is I'll get on Instacart real quick and Instacart them some stuff. Smart. I've Instacarted a blow dryer. Come on. <laughs> Dang, that's a good idea though. Mm-hmm. I love this. Okay. And then with your with your properties, these are all outside of your area mostly, right? Like you don't have very many that are a couple blocks away. Yeah. So I would say half and half. Yeah. yeah. So we yeah. have a few out of state as well. And so for those, you can use other apps, say TaskRabbit and Thumbtack and cleaners. My cleaners are my first line of defense, right? But say they're on another job and they can't immediately, you know, respond. That's when I elicit, you know, the help of other apps. So having um, cleaners and also having just like a local person. I have a local uh, retired vet. I love retired vets. They're very picky and they're very 
very type A. So I'll have them inspect every now and then. Hey, could you do an audit on this? I've been getting some reviews and they'll go in. They say, yep, they didn't sweep the back porch. I'm like, you see? (laughs) (laughs) This is perfect. That's a good tip. So they're like the ones that are communicating with you and saying, hey, here's what was missed. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I would have like, I do audit um, pretty frequently. And so depending on when that, you know, particular cleaner gets their little audit, a backup, you know, uh, check if, if the, um, I call him my white glove inspector and 25 bucks, he'll go there, you know, for a few minutes, but if he has to stay there for 20, 30 minutes to remediate something, he's happy to do it. And I'm happy to compensate him for it. But then we start to have those conversations with the cleaning team, like, you know, no. he'll take pictures and everything, which I love. So that's fantastic. How often does that happen, roughly? Oh my goodness, that happens once or twice a week. Oh, it's frequent. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. It's frequent. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't yeah. realize that. And is that on every property, regardless of price point, or is no. it just on select? It's it's regardless of price point, but it's on every property in kind of a rotation. So one week it could be property A, next week property B. But um, the way it flows is I'm always looking at the cleaning team who cleaned. And if if I start to get some reviews where the cleaner's quality is coming down, you know, a lot yeah. of our cleaners, they start off really robust and, and then it kind of starts to dwindle down. Yeah. Those audits are really what keeps us, you know, on the same page. Mm-hmm. And they are also incentivized on five-star cleaning reviews because that that's, you know, it has to be clean. It just, it, it has to be People clean. Expect that too. <laughs> yeah. We all do, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine if I went to a, a place and it was sheets were nasty, hadn't been swept. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, what the heck? Like, that's, mm-hmm. I think that's the the difference between good properties and properties that just do okay from an income standpoint. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you, is your cleaning team, are these people that are, they have other properties they clean or are they kind of dedicated on to your properties? So the ones that are local to me, they do have other properties that they clean because I don't have enough inventory to keep them busy. So some of them actually have other work that they do, um, you know, as well as cleaning. Uh, The ones that are remote in the mountain regions, they're they're dedicated to me um, because it is quite busy and those homes require quite a bit. So uh, part of our uh, workflow is that on the day of checkout, although checkout is at four, my cleaners show up at around nine or 10 to take care of the outdoor amenities. So pool, hot tub, oh. lawn furniture, pool noodles, um, the grill alone. <laughs> oh God, I can only imagine. <laughs> right. That sounds like so, a nightmare. <laughs> right. So it's like a two, two at a time type of clean. And they spend all that initial time on the exterior. And as the guest starts to check out, um, you know, on the interior, they'll transition inside. I like it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That gives us, I guess, some context into how you operate your business. I appreciate you sharing that. For somebody who wants mm-hmm. to get started into this, where where do you recommend somebody begins with short-term rentals or even I guess midterm? Is it their own spare bedroom? Is it buying a property? Like what do you think is maybe the best way to get started? You know, I would say start where you're at, you know, start where you're at. I will say if you can swing even, you know, a duplex property where you're house hacking or a two bedroom or one bedroom basement, you know, I would start there. The spare bedroom is going to be a little bit tight, you know, guests, Mm -hmm. they want their own space. They want their own private space. So if you're able to swing, you know, one home purchase, um, Try to purchase something that has a house hacking ability, such as a whole basement with its own interior, a two family. So start where you're at is where I would say and start in your own backyard if you can, you know, Um, that's barring any regulatory restraints. You need to know your regulations, of course. But if you're able to start in your own backyard, I would start in your own backyard, get a feel for it and you can start to create 
you know, your process and and look at what it would look like to uh, expand your portfolio to the next property somewhere a little, a little further along, maybe near a mountain or the beach or a lake house or something like that. Heck yeah. One that you can <laughs> actually kind of enjoy sometimes too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's the perks. That's, that's the fun yeah. parts about this stuff. I love it. Okay. So for somebody that wants to learn more about your program, can you talk to us a little bit about your trainings and how you work with individuals? Yeah. Awesome. So my philosophy is how do I own and operate the fewest number of properties that give us the highest profitability? So I'm not going to be that training coach that says, you need a hundred doors and you need 10 doors. Thank God. (laughs) I know. I feel like, okay, I already have a job. I don't need a whole other job. You know, I'm really... Um, in a self-preservation mode when it comes to that. (laughs) So I really, from the bottom of my heart, believe all you need is one or two properties to be wildly profitable, but they need to be the right properties in the right market. So there's a lot of analysis that goes into it. Part of my coaching program, and it's a concierge coaching program, is that I bring in experts. I have experts that come alongside of me. I would say I'm like an a seven when it comes to, you know, designing the revenue plan for my business. Mm -hmm. But I bring in my tens to come in and to uh, give some expert coaching on a weekly basis on how to design, you know, and define your revenue. I'm a, I would say an eight for market analysis, but I bring in a data miner who helps hedge funds purchase uh, short-term rentals. And he's one of our coaches and he helps me create um, a custom uh, investment map for each member of the community, depending on what your preferences are. Are you, you know, a Disney girl who wants to be by an amusement park or are you, you know, an adventure traveler who wants to be like secluded somewhere? Mm -hmm. So he helps, you know, create a custom map based on those preferences, but primarily based on the revenue that you can generate based on your revenue goals. I have a designer who flies out to the property that's a part of the program as well. And so that's really a part of it. It's, I do coach on all of these things. My mom thinks I'm like the top 10 designer, you know, but I'm like a five. I'm not that great mom. She's so sweet. I'm not. I thought I was a 10 too. She made me think I was a 10 until designers were like, no. (laughs) Here's what you got to (laughs) do. I love it. But that, that was my aha moment with me. I don't have to be everything to everyone, but as long as I have access to the top people in, in those areas, you know, uh, definitely, uh, you know, I've seen so much success. So I primarily help busy professionals like myself, those who are grinding it out, get their first or second luxury short-term or midterm rental. We're, analyzing property. It can be boring sometimes. We're spreadsheeting it out. You know, we look at numbers galore and we um, have weekly coaching calls as well as direct one-on-one messaging with my, with my members of my community. So the first step, um, and you asked a little bit about that is definitely uh, tapping into my resource, 75 gems to see my top 75 cities with the highest profit profitability you can start there to start to see what those cities are and yeah. and you can start there and then you'll you'll be able to connect with my community from that point on and you said 75 gems it's the number 75 gems like like a stone gems.com mm-hmm. yep so 75 gems.com yep heck yeah so then we can start <laughs> to see all the areas that you think are data backed would be possible good cities to invest in yeah, absolutely. And you'll see within the columns, all of the data points. So the city, the state, the so uh, cool. number of listings that are always already there, the average ROI you can generate, the average home prices, specifically not for the whole market, but the average home prices for short-term rentals, uh, as well as um, some scores that AirDNA, which is a tool that I use. Uh, yeah, some scores that AirDNA assigns to them. I love it. Rachel, <laughs> this is such a cool resource and I'm so glad you took the time to share a little bit more about your business and how it works and some of the the Aww. stuff that's maybe not so fun to deal with sometimes, <laughs> but I appreciate your time and just telling us all of the, the deets there. Oh, such an honor. Thank you so much, Whitney. Again, you just have showered this community with so much value. I know it takes a lot of time yourself and energy to put all of this together. So I appreciate you and the education that you put out there. Oh, thanks, friend. I appreciate that. Before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Let's do it. All right. (laughs) Number one, aside from Boise, Idaho, where is one location you're dying to travel to? (laughs) 
That's where I live. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. I am dying to travel to Bora Bora. Oh, heck yeah. Right? <laughs> That'd be so fun. Yes. Agreed. Okay. All right. Um, tell us what is one book you find yourself gifting most often? Ooh, that's a great question. My latest one is actually this one here, the book direct playbook by my friend, Mark Simpson. And so I love it because he has strategies on how to market your property outside of just using Airbnb. So I've been gifting that a lot to the members of my community, how to market on Instagram and and that kind of thing. So, yep. Love it. Okay. (laughs) What is one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? I wouldn't say a purchase. I would call it an investment. I did invest in an executive assistant. Is that okay to say? Totally okay to say. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. She is my ride or die. Oh my goodness. I didn't think I could afford her, you know, and yeah. I said, okay, let's try it out for a couple of weeks, you know, just from, you know, the education side of the business as I'm growing that I was thinking, like, I don't know if I can afford you, but Oh my goodness. Just the amount that she has taken off of my plate has changed my life. Oh, that's so good to hear. It's a good reminder too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. My last question for you, in your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? Mm. To me, the secret is to really know what it is that you want and, and just staying focused because I get a lot of door envy when someone comes up to me and say, I have a hundred doors and I get really envious, but I have to take a step back and say, what is it that you want? Do you want to manage the doors or are you looking for time to travel, time to take care of yourself, self-care? And so just really know what it is that you want and do not get um, shiny object syndrome when you hear others brag about their <laughs> their goodies and whatnot. I love it. Rachel, thank you again for your time. It was so fun connecting with you and hearing a little bit more about your story. Thank you so much for having me, Whitney. Okay. What'd you think? What were your takeaways? Tell me all the details and what really stood out to you. And don't forget to come say hi to me on Instagram. Shoot me a message, take a screenshot of this episode, tag me. That's usually the best way to show me that you're listening in. And as always, I appreciate you. I hope you're having a great week and thank you so much for supporting this podcast. I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye.